Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for part one of a two-part spiritual biography conversation with Rebecca Katz and host Michael Lerner. Rebecca Katz, welcome to the new school at Commonweal. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> so great to be here. I've been looking forward to this so much. Um, we're here to do what I call a spiritual biography of Rebecca Katz. What does that really mean? A spiritual biography for me is um, an exploration of how you came to be who you are. Some of the great questions of life, you know, who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Where are you going? To whom or what are you accountable? Just little questions like that. Just little ones, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But let's start in September of uh, 20, of 2000. September of 2000, Commonweal Cancer Health Program Week, right? Waz Thomas, the coordinator of the Cancer Health Program, called you up. Tell us the story. Oh, well, this talk about seminal moments. I was um, cooking in a kitchen in Mendocino. I had just graduated from culinary school in New York, and I had been working at this restaurant. I think now it was like on my second year. I called it the pirate ship. It was like working on a pirate ship. Anyway, I was getting ready for service for that night. And I was told I had a phone call. And those were the days when there were like phones. And um, I grabbed it and I heard this deep voice and he said, is this Rebecca Katz? And I said, yes. And he said, this is Waz Thomas in that deep voice from the Commonweal Cancer Help Program. I'm the executive director of the Commonweal Cancer Help Program. And I was like, oh, I know who you are. You know? <laughs> so I took, I, I took the cord, the phone with the cord, and I sat on the back steps. And he said, um, are you busy? I think it was like the last week of September because our chef can't make it. And I got your name from Laura Pohl through the Natural Gourmet Institute for Food and Culinary Health in New York, which was my culinary school. And I was like, I'll make myself available. I'm in, right? So I marked myself off the schedule. And um, I drove out to Commonweal And I brought all this gear with me. And, you know, I I remember sitting and thinking about the menus and thinking about what I was going to do. And this was like my, this was like a huge, huge deal because we all knew about Commonweal. Any of us that graduated from my culinary school knew about Commonweal. It was like a coveted place. And the only reason why Waz even reached out to me was because Laura Pohl could vouch for me. Otherwise, no way would I have 
gotten through the gates. So it was really like super honor. And I um, arrived on a Saturday and um, I had to go to the farmer's market. I had to do all of this preparation. And um, I was all up in my head, right? Because I'm thinking about menus and I'm thinking about logistics and I'm thinking about all of those things and where things are going to go and the flow. And, you know, I had never done a retreat before, let alone for people with cancer. So I was up in the head. So that night I took myself to downtown Bolinas to the Coast Cafe, the mm-hmm. infamous Coast Cafe. <laughs> and um, it was crowded. And I was there with my lists, right? I, my notes and my lists and everything. And I thought, I'm just going to sit at a cozy table and just do my work. And it would be really fine. And they seat me at this table. But then they sat this woman at my table, like out of nowhere. I'm like, where am I? Oh, that's right. I'm in Bolinas, California, right? And this woman says, hi, my name is Sugar. (laughs) And um, she was, she looked like something out of the Midwest. Mm -hmm. Like she did not look familiar to these parts, Mm -hmm. right? Mm And she started asking me questions. And here I am, I'm like, still an East Coast girl, right? Mm-hmm. I hadn't been in California that long. Yeah. I'm like, you mean you're, you want to engage in a conversation? I've got this big retreat and I'm trying to cross-reference my notes. So <clears throat> she orders a burger and fries and she starts like speaking to me. She was like, she was like a... Uh, she was like a shaman slathered in Heinz ketchup because she starts <laughs> she starts telling me, like, well, you're here for a greater purpose. <laughs> you know, you can make all the notes that you want, right, in your little notebook, mm-hmm. but you're here for a higher purpose. Wow. You're there as a soul nourisher. You're there. To nourish people's souls. Whoa. Amazing. Oh, yeah. This is like... I haven't heard this story before. Oh, oh, I've told it before, (laughs) but truly, it's like a... It's it's like, I'll never forget it. This is when you... This comes from the the school of you can't make this shit up, (laughs) right? Because because this was like... Here, this woman just dropped in and she gave me the whole purpose. And then she said, you need to leave your ego Mm -hmm. at the door Mm -hmm. when you walk into your kitchen. Mm -hmm. You have to really focus Mm -hmm. on making people feel nourished. Mm -hmm. And that was like, okay, list gone. I, I, I was like, Okay, I get it. Like, mm. obviously, I was so flipped out by that, but it flipped the switch. Mm. And I mean, I'm just going to say that's like the story. If, if, the, if I had to say there was like, you know, if you believe in messengers, mm-hmm. you know, I've had messengers all through my life. 
and in weird ways. And this was one of those times where it was so clear that I was being called to do something that was not that was above my pay grade, Mm -hmm. but that was asking me to, to, to think about a situation and to rely on the wisdom, something deep inside me that I could access, that I needed to access Mm -hmm. to be able to do what I was put here to do, that this was next level. This wasn't just getting up a meal. This wasn't about that. This was about something much larger. And indeed, it was. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the first staff meeting. So here I am, I've been isolated from the rest of the staff, and I go to the first staff meeting, and you know, and this is where I meet you and the rest of the staff. And I've met Waz, you know, and 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 we're going around. Everybody's ta- you were talking about the biographies of each each person and the, the type- biographies of the participants who are coming exactly, yeah. and. And you're going into their disease states and you're going into, you know, you're really giving people a snapshot. And I am sitting there, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm just the cook, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, how am I going to cook for these people? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're ill. And how am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to do it? And I I just remember going to sleep that night being like, oh, wow. Mm. And so the next day, I walk in the kitchen. I take a deep breath. I leave it all at the door. I'm like, I'm just cooking from my heart. Mm. That's where I'm cooking from. And I just remember getting through that first meal and the smiles on people's faces mm. and just the fact that I was there, my purpose was to hold them like a big, like like a cashmere sweater soup, mm-hmm. you know, just to just hold them in cashmere sweater soups, mm-hmm. magic mineral broth, and and uh, common wheel tea, you know, just to be that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest is history because it changed my whole life mm-hmm. at that point. My life was changed. That was a long answer. Uh, but <laughs> what better way to start a spiritual biography? So I just want to sugar wherever you are. Oh. Bless you. you know? <laughs> really? Bless you, sugar. Right. Wow. Sugar. Sugar with f- a hamburger and French fries hey. at the Coast Cafe. Hey telling you that you were there for a higher purpose. Yeah. Check your ego at the door. You're a soul nourisher. You are a soul nourisher. What an amazing, amazing story. Yeah. So there's so many directions I want to go at once, but I think, well, one thing just to say, um, Twenty-three years ago, just graduated from culinary school in New York. By the way, we should mention that Rebecca uh, Pohl, uh, Laura Pohl, 
is a very old friend who, as you say, went to the same culinary school. She's a oncology nurse specialist. She works deeply with us to this day. I'm in touch with her several times a week on our Cancer Choices website. And uh, she cooks for the Cancer Health Program at Smith Center for Healing and the Arts in Washington. So uh, the two of you are, uh, are beloved, longtime partners in the work. Um, there's so many directions to go here, but let's start by introducing you to people. Now, I could do that, but it would be much more interesting if you were to describe yourself. Uh, I'm, I'll just pick a piece out, which is a quote I saw from you, that you grew up with a spatula in one hand and a paintbrush in the other. Okay? <laughs> so tell us, for those who don't know, who are you? Um, well, uh, I'm a big person for a little person. <laughs> um, I... Uh, I grew up, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, and I came from a very interesting family. Uh, my great-grandfather, my mother's grandfather, um, was uh, came to this country from what is now the Ukraine. He... Uh, he snuck on a boat. This was in 1906 during the pogroms. He arrived in this country with 25 cents in his pocket. He got pickpocketed on the boat. Um, he ended up in Baltimore during the Baltimore fire, sold scrap and metal on the street, and then ended up, I think it was like 20 years later, buying the boat he came in on. So he was a real, like, you know, and he taught himself how to speak English and he educated himself and he, you know, so I came from that, like, entrepreneurial spirit that was like, he was a major force in our family and he had a big impact on my life. And Did you actually know? Oh, yes. You oh, knew him? Oh, he was, oh wow. my God, he was, we were partners in crime. Wow. He was a huge influence. And I was the great grandchild. I was his favorite great grandchild because everybody was afraid of Mars Shapiro. And, and because you were like him. Right? I, I was maybe a little bit. No, maybe just a little just bit. Just a touch. <laughs> <laughs> he recognized me. And I think he recognized me because I was not scared of him. Mm -hmm. Everybody else was scared of him because he was the big patriarch, mm -hmm. right? And I just wasn't. I just got right in his face. Mm -hmm. And my, my parents would get the biggest kick because we would go out there every Sunday for dinner. And um, I remember I made him a stool in uh, nursery school, mm -hmm. like just this little wood stool, mm -hmm. and I painted it blue. And he said, he, he comes out to greet me and he goes, and I said, this is for you, Pop. And he goes, hmm, I don't like this color. And I said, well, give it back to me. I'll give it to somebody else. <laughs> like, and then for my uh, uh, fifth, sixth birthday, he um, t 
took me down to uh, the harbor, the inner harbor in Baltimore. And um, he, it, before we went, he, he gave me a box and he said, give this to your mother and go get changed and we're going to go down to the harbor. And um, he had a thick Russian accent. He had a thick accent. And um, it was this little captain's uniform. And um, I went down to the harbor and there was one of his tugboats that he named after me called the Becky K. Uh-huh. And he said, this was another moment. Now you're dressed in the little... I'm in the little captain's, captain's uniform. Uh-huh. Greg who is my husband, who is in the audience, has a picture of this. So I have the little little navy blue jacket with the epaulets Mm -hmm. and the captain's hat, a little white skirt, and I'm wearing red PF flyers. (laughs) Anyway, he said, Becky, don't forget you are the captain of your own ship. So here's like this, you know, I got it early, Uh right? Um, I definitely came from a family of cooks and artists. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was a painter. My father sculpted. Um, my brother is a photographer. Um, my aunt was a ceramicist. We grew up in art and culture, and I grew up in a family of cooks, for sure. And I started painting when I was five, Um at least watercolors. I mean, I did finger painting and everything before, but mm-hmm. truly, you know, painting and cooking were a big food was a huge part of our lives because, you know, it was like, you know, I came from a Jewish family and there was an Italian part that married in. So there was this, you know, food was the center of everything. And my father would say, um, eat, then we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Eat, then worry, you know. So what did your father do with himself? What oh, was my gosh. Thing? So my my dad was in the food business. Mm. And um, he was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And when he was 27, mm. he bought an old, one of the oldest tea importers in the country. Mm. It's this little company called Martin Gillette and Company. And they made tea. And then they also made mayonnaise on the side. Mm-hmm. Well, he ended up really taking the business in the condiment, in mayonnaises and salad dressings and everything else. So basically, we grew up, you know, with him bringing in the latest salad dressing, the latest mayonnaise, and he he was very successful at it. Wonderful. So we, we grew up in, like, the food world. And what about your mother? My mother was a... Um, She was an artist. She was a painter. And then she kind of put down her paintbrush in her 30s. And then she became very much um, interested in philanthropy and in history. And um, she was the first female president of the Maryland Historical Society and the first Jewish, was the first woman and the first Jewish person of the Maryland Historical Uh Society. So Uh she really devoted her time towards that. Mm. My father got back into his painting, into his art, Mm. later in his life, Mm. in his late 60s. Mm. Um, 
So, yeah, that was a very rich. And did you have siblings? Yeah, I do. Um, my brother is a photographer. My sister um, was an incredible uh, jewelry maker. Mm -hmm. um, and now she, um, then she switched and got her degree in education and working with um, children who are gifted and talented. And where were you in the sequence? I was the youngest. You were the youngest. Yes, I was and, the youngest. And the beloved youngest great-granddaughter of the patriarch. Yeah, the patriarch yeah. family. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, and say again what city you were in? Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore. So, what were you like in eighth grade? Oh, God. Eighth grade. Only the most awkward year ever. Um, so one of the things that was that my parents did is they knew I needed a, an outlet. So they enrolled me in a young children's theater workshop. So I became like a thespian at a young age. How old? Oh, well, um, I'm going to say... Easily, it was like nine. Uh -huh. And I had a very low voice for a little person. Mm -hmm. And I used to imitate Ethel Merman. And so I would like break out into song, uh -huh. right? Um, like I would imitate um, Barbara Streisand and Hello, Dolly. And I would just, you know, I and so I was in all these musicals right? And it was kids, right? And I had the like, big belty voice. So I used to like sing like both parts <laughs> because I had this low voice. So um, anyway, in eighth grade, I, the greatest thing about being in theater is that it keeps you out of trouble mm -hmm. and it kept me out of trouble and it it gave me a tremendous focus. So in eighth grade, I was very involved in theater. And because I had a voice and I could dance, um, I kind of was like in the high school musicals, even though I was in eighth grade. In eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So I was like hybrid. And also I painted. So I sort of kind of skipped a little bit of the awkwardness because I, you know, when you have theater as your platform, you can sort of like, sort of transcend a little bit. And so here you are, this, uh, this compact bundle of energy, right? <laughs> <laughs> this compact bundle of energy. You said, you, you kind of said a big person in a small package. Right. Yeah. yeah. So this compact bundle of energy. Your parents were wise enough to realize you needed an outlet. They enrolled you in the theater school and you had this big low voice and just could do Barbara Streisand and, you know, and so, and could sing both parts. So I can, I can visualize it. So was there a, a big production in eighth grade that you starred in? Well, I didn't star. In eighth grade, I was lucky to be in the chorus. Oh, because you were... Because I was, you know, I was like getting in under the radar. Oh, but you're in the high school thing. Oh, yeah. So I was, I was in the high school musical, but I was in, oh, the, in, chorus. in the chorus. I get it. I made my, I peaked. 
at um, at in in eleventh grade. In eleventh grade, I starred as Adelaide oh. in Guys and Dolls. Oh, really? This was peak. Uh-huh. This was like the peak of my theatrical career. <laughs> And then I went on to Northwestern University as a theater major. Uh huh. Before you start. Yes. When you see a guy reach for stars in the sky, you can bet that he's doing it for some doll. When you see a gent and he's out in the rain, you can bet that that gent da 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 is there for some dame. So on. Yes. Yes. Can you sing a piece from me? Oh, my God. Okay. Let me see. A person can develop a cold. You can feed her all day with a vitamin A and the bromo fizz. But the medicine will never get anywhere where the trouble lives. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. You know, my wife calls me the human jukebox oh. because we've been married for 40 years and I keep singing songs she's never heard me say before. I'll tell you what it is because my grandfather, Benjamin, came over from the Polish Jewish frontier with my father in 1906, the same year that your great grandfather came over. Um, and we came from a line of Torah scholars. That's what we came from. Lerner was a made-up name because the the Russian authorities would go into the Jewish villages and they'd take any sons other, they'd leave each family one son. And so the, the Jews in the shtetl figured this out. So they would make up families with two older people who didn't have a child and they'd put a child in it. So one of those families was named Lerner, which meant scholar. Because uh, this line uh, were people who, uh, they weren't rabbis, but when the rabbi wasn't in the, the visiting rabbi wasn't in the shtetl, my great-great-grandparents and so on would, fathers would, would do the services and so on. So anyway, I should have been a Torah student. But growing up in an agnostic Christian Jewish family, all that energy of memorizing the Torah went into picking up the lyrics of 10,000 songs. So my entire capacity, which should have gone to studying Torah, went to 10,000 songs, you know, and constantly in the course of a day, somebody will say something and boom, it triggers one of these 10,000 songs. So Cheryl will say to me, she just said to me the other night, that's a new one. (laughs) You have a deep catalog. I do have a deep catalog. (laughs) And, you know, what a waste, you know? I mean, what an incredible waste that if I had been given something to study that was worthwhile, you know? I, I would have I would have made something of myself, you know, and it's just that I, I memorized ten thousand popular songs, you know. Anyway. You're listening to part one of a two-part TNS conversation with Rebecca Katz and host Michael Lerner. So in eighth grade, you uh, were in the chorus in the uh, in the high school production. In eleventh grade, you peaked. <laughs> 
and guys and dolls. Right. right? All right. So what were you like as a senior in high school? Um, senior in high school, then I then I became involved. I still was major theater person and I was still at that point I'm doing community theater I've graduated from kind of like I did the high school musical and um but I moved on to community theater Mm -hmm. that was like the next step up and um did you expect you would be an actress oh my dream was to be a star on Broadway that was that was it Mm -hmm. and I um I I remember um, I went to a program at Northwestern University in between my junior and senior years that summer Mm -hmm. to study theater. And um, because I wanted to go to Northwestern, that Mm -hmm. was my school. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so my senior year was devoted really to trying to get in Mm -hmm. (laughs) to college. And um, and also, it was a year of uh, a year. I was very engaged in my art uh-huh. and my painting. Uh-huh. So, which was going alongside the, the my theater. theater. You know, like I never like. I'm still one of my favorite people ever. Is my high school art teacher who uh-huh. I just talked to last week. Wow. Nancy Patz, she's 93 mm. and like one of my favorite people mm. on the planet. So, um, and a huge influence. So, and I was very, you know, I went to this very bohemian prep school. Like when I say- uh, What was it called? It was called the Park School. Mm-hmm. And it was very bohemian for Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. And um, so- I was involved in working with kids in the city and, you know, just I was involved in a lot of mm-hmm. different volunteer efforts. And we, mm-hmm. you know, my friends and I was, we were very active, mm-hmm. very active in the community. And and what was your painting like at that point? What, what were you painting? Um, well, I was strictly at that point a watercolor painter. Mm-hmm. And I, at that point, I was painting, I was painting still lights and I was painting people and I was painting, I was very representational mm-hmm. kind of painting. Were you skilled at representational art? I was at that time. Mm-hmm. If I looked at my art back then, because it was very studied, mm-hmm. you know, and I was learning technique, mm-hmm. um, it was, I would say, uh, I would look at that work and say uh, it was a little tight, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't paint like so that. So you now. were doing this very representational art. You were uh, you wanted to be a star on Broadway, right? You were in community uh, theater, right? You were doing service work with kids in the community. It was a bohemian prep school, right? right? Who was the human being inside all of these external? experiences what what was going on inside you yeah wow I look back at that young woman who thought she needed to have it all she thought she needed to have it all figured out Mm. 
It was like, that was a big thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I, you know, I, I, it was a very anxious, uh, young woman coming into like just on the verge Mm -hmm. who thought it was going to write a story. She was writing a story. This was the script, right? Mm -hmm. And she was going to sing and dance her way in. Um, And uh, she was going to take all that energy and just... Drive it through. Drive it through. Yeah. You know, she's going to be... She's going to be controlling everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I look back on that, that and I... Of course, you know, now I'm 62. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow... Mm-hmm. Boy, did things shift, mm-hmm. you know. But I think I had, um, I had exuberance, mm-hmm. you know. I had, I, and I was very, very sensitive. And I think it was hard being sensitive um, in my family because, uh, you know. No, you, it, it just wasn't, it was like, I, sometimes um, I, people would say, you know, you're entirely too sensitive. Mm-hmm. So it, I think I had, you know, the theater was a way for me to sort of like mask that sensitivity or so I could channel sen- it. Sensitive in what way? What was the inner experience oh. of the sensitivity? Would you get easily hurt yes. when people said things? I would get easily hurt or I would feel very empathetic towards other people Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I was a little you know and I didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. with some of that so I felt things very deeply that were happening in the in the world Mm -hmm. and I just didn't know what to do with it all Mm -hmm. so you said you've been visited by spirit Entities or something throughout your life, messengers is what you said. Yes. Uh, were these messengers uh, human beings like your art teacher, or were they also uh, energies that didn't come in human form? Um, I'm going to say that in my experience, they always came in a human form, mm-hmm. but very unexpected like from unexpected, like a sugar mm-hmm. or like, uh, you know, just, or maybe a teacher or may, mm-hmm. or maybe, or somebody out of the blue that mm-hmm. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that might step in mm-hmm. for like, like maybe like a cameo appearance of five mm-hmm. minutes. So if you look back, who are some of the earliest or earlier uh, guides or beings like that that come to your mind? Hmm. Well, I definitely think moments with my great-grandfather, hmm. most certainly. Um, definitely with my art teacher. Hmm. Um, I would say I had some very profound moments with my father. Mm-hmm where he would sort of provide me with the answer to a quiz, you know, mm-hmm. like a pearl of wisdom that would come through him. Mm-hmm. 
out of nowhere that seemed to be like just the thing I was ready to hear at the moment I was ready to hear it. I had a, an extraordinary relationship with him in that regard. Mm. There was uh, just that type of connection. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily, I didn't get a dose every day, but these little like mm-hmm. pearls would come. What was family nowhere. life like in your family? You said you were sometimes told you were too sensitive, but was it one great happy family where nobody had any problems with anybody else? Oh, no. It was, was it more like the rest of us? It was the rest of us. It was a very challenging dynamic. Uh-huh. It was challenging um, on every different level mm-hmm. you can imagine. Um, so it was, yeah, it was like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as the youngest, did that have a special impact on you? Yeah, it did. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, I'm very close to my brother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're, we're, we, we kind of have talked about, like, what it was like growing up mm-hmm. in the type of family that we grew up in and mm-hmm. how it affected us differently. And what do you say to each other? Um, we're like, wow. I can't believe we're still here and talking about it. Wow, this is a this is a big question. I think we both feel at this stage in our lives that we feel now a tremendous amount of freedom that we did not experience um, growing up in the framework of our family structure Mm -hmm. that with the passing of our mother that there was uh, that we experienced this um, freedom to be ourselves Mm -hmm. and not what what we were quote unquote expected to be Mm -hmm. or being second guessed or Mm -hmm. lots of of those kinds of Things that we grow up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so many of us have had challenging families, but it sounds like the family situation was challenging. You were an extremely sensitive person, but in school and in theater, you were able to break out and achieve and and really shine. Right, right. but that was in high school, not in college. So, what happened in college? So. Um, I did get into Northwestern University, and I think my college years, that that was the beginning of the wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you know, now you're not in a little pond. What year are we talking about? Freshman year. Yeah, but what, what year was that? That was 1979, All right. 80. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. I'm in a bigger pond. Pond. Mm-hmm. And these are people that, you know, I'm in the theater department. And Northwestern had quite a rigorous theater program. And basically, you are not going to even be in a show. You are going to be doing crew most of your freshman year. And um, I also, I should also say that I had a learning disability Mm -hmm. in school. Which kind? Um, 
I'm going to say a little bit of dyslexia, um, but also I was a visual learner mm-hmm. and most of the learning mm-hmm. was, you know, audio driven, which mm-hmm. I don't learn as well. I'm a visual learner mm-hmm. and I wasn't a great tester. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I had to study <clears throat> 10 times harder than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, um, so now I'm in college mm-hmm. and um, I'm faced with really long hours of theater crew, um, the challenges of what it means to be with this very eclectic, dramatic group of people. I mean, um, and and also having to get my academic chops going. And I, I it was like, wake up, you're not... You know, you're not in Guys and Dolls anymore. You know, you're not in that world. And um, I found my niche because I painted, painting sets. Uh-huh. So um, my crew, like, I I was lucky because, you know, I got to paint these 20-foot by 40-foot backdrops and, and flats, and I... And your paintings now are also immense. Right, and they were huge. Yeah. And um, and I always, so that was like my savior. And I struggled through um, theater school. I, I struggled immensely. Um, I, I, I got a lot of rejections. I think I got cast in one thing the whole time I was in college. Um, and I think by junior year, I decided... You know what? This theater thing, I don't think it's for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was great in high school, but I don't think I can do this. I think I want to do too many other things. Not that I know what those are, but I didn't feel like I could be, I, I didn't, but I was too afraid to like come out and say, you know what? Mom, Dad, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to do this. Like, somehow I felt like that was, I would be a big failure. Mm-hmm. But um, I grabbed... It sounds quite devastating. It, it, at the time, it was, because I was unmoored for the first time. Mm-hmm. I discovered, wow, you know what? This life thing, it's, a, it's like uncharted territory. And you know what? I I don't know. And all my friends from high school were like going to law school and graduate school and medical school. And like, I felt like they had it all dialed in. And I just was like, I'm not sure what and it given is. given who you were as a senior in high school. Yeah. Just all planned, going to drive it through. And then junior in college... It's not working. You don't want to say to mom and dad, this isn't it. Yeah. And my senior year, I really, I, I, had, I, I had my first big depressive episode. Mm-hmm. I, I, was, I really went into a deep depression. It was the first, my first real experience. I mean, I've dealt with depression um, on and off my whole life. But this was like, this was a big, big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
of an anxiety. And it, it was, you know, I didn't have the tools at that point to deal with it. And I got through my senior year and um, I, the one program I did get into, even though I knew I wasn't going to be, you know, a Broadway star, was an opportunity to study at the American Conservatory Theater, their summer Congress program in San Francisco. And that was an amazing experience because that was my first taste of peeling away the layers and understanding having some key into self-awareness through breath work, through rebirthing, which was a big thing at the time, through all of these more kind of holistic spiritual approaches, yoga, um, things that were not about outward, but were inward. So it was like, that was my first taste of that. Mm. You know, depression is such an interesting thing because obviously in some people's cases, it's essentially a biochemical thing. Uh, but in, in archetypal psychology, you may or may not know this, but uh, in a lot of archetypal psychology, um, depression is seen as an immensely fertile space in which all kinds of realizations emerge. And uh, you mentioned that you have dealt with depression throughout your life. What has your experience, I mean, has it been like a biochemical thing that comes and goes, or has it been a source of insight and learning and even transformation that takes place for some people? I will say that it is a combination of both. Mm -hmm. Biochemical, I come, I mean, our family had, I mean. It has it. Yeah. Yeah. All through. Right. Um, so definitely biochemical, but but I will say mm -hmm. that I've always come out of my depressions with greater knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, mm, I'm going to say I was pushed to another level. The only way out is through. That was my experience. That is my experience with dealing either with de depression or anxiety or chronic pain or any of those things is to, to find a, a presence with it. You're listening to part one of a two-part TNS conversation with Rebecca Katz and host Michael Lerner. I mean, I've dealt with anxiety at different points in my life. And, you know, the thing about anxiety is that um, it's, uh, it's kind of whatever, fear or anger without an, without an object. And once I understood what it was that I needed to do that I'd been avoiding, and I actually did it, the anxiety just disappeared, you know. And so it seems to me depression and anxiety are like other wounds that, you know, the wound is not only a wound, it's an opening. And so... Um, so when you say you each time you've come out and been taken to another level, I can really resonate to that. Yeah. So what was the new level 
that you were taken to after this major depression as a senior in college? I moved to New York. Mm-hmm. And um, I got my first job mm-hmm. cocktail waitressing on track 34 in mm-hmm. Grand Central Station. Uh-huh. I remember calling my parents. <laughs> and my, I, I, I've got both my parents on the phone. Now, my father is absolutely thrilled because I went out and got a job. Mm-hmm. And I was happy about it. Mm-hmm. My mother was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Jay, you've got to do something about this. What did she call you? Uh, she was talking to my father on the phone. Oh, I see. Like, she's like, oh, my God. And then she says to my father, because they're both on I the line it. together, yeah. Jay, that's my father's name, yeah. you've got to do something about this. <laughs> and my father was like, no way. <laughs> she is on her way, hmm. right? And... um I graduated from cocktail waitressing to waiting on tables at a very upscale bistro on the upper mm-hmm. uh, east side. And um, and then this is like, and I waited tables all through college. Mm-hmm. And, um, and was that because you needed the money? No, it wasn't that I needed it. I wanted to earn You're my on, yeah. money. Yeah, got it. Um, so... Um, I so I I waited on tables. I you know I I had I did pretty well. Anyway, this is just kind of a precursor. Which what is, did you learn from waiting on tables? <laughs> How to work with the back of the house. Well, there, yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so I you know I look back now at like hmm. all the things that mm-hmm. I did, right. Waiting on tables, my first job when I was 16, working at the Roy Rogers on Park Heights Avenue, having to wear a cowboy hat and say, howdy partner and happy trails, you know, and and waiting tables in college and then, you know, working at a summer resort in Maine, which was like my dirty dancing summer, uh-huh. you know, and um, working in that big kitchen environment and and then now uh, wait a minute we got to go to that dirty dancing summer what oh, was that all about god okay so the summer after my freshman year mm-hmm. i get cast i i i wasn't cast in anything in college but mm-hmm. i end up being cast in things outside mm-hmm. of school mm-hmm. so this was sort of like um, it was in Maine. It was this kind of family resort in Maine. It could have been in the Catskills. Was it a Jewish family it, resort? It wasn't Jew, all Jewish, but it was... Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> like, it, was, it, was, it was low-fat Jew. So, <laughs> like, low-fat Jew. Okay. So it was on Kezar Lake in Lovell, Maine. Beautiful area. And um, I was... Uh, I was hired to wait tables, and then at night we would do these cabarets. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I like had like I, you know, all of us would switch, and these were amazing musical theater or um, musicians mm-hmm. from all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, here we were, and this was like the serious waiting on tables. This was like, you know, those big trays, 
You know, yeah. you, you had to like, and this is like carrying the plates up and down your arms. And you had the family the whole time they were there. And um, it's where I met my first serious boyfriend, ah. whose name was John Q. Smith. John Q. Smith. And not a nice Jewish. He wasn't a Jewish boy, but he was a very nice boy. (laughs) Anyway, so it was that that rich summer. But um, the chef was a French chef because what these resorts did was they went and they got all these great chefs from the Boston area that wanted to take time off Mm -hmm. and work in Maine where it was Mm -hmm. like nice. So you'd get you know, chefs from the Ritz and all these other places. So here we are. I'm like, and I, here's my painting again. I would sit and I would sit on the beach and I would do these pastoral watercolors Mm -hmm. and people would ask if they could buy them. And so I sold my paintings and then the chef gets wind of it and says, would you please, French, would you please paint? You speak French? No. Okay. But he spoke English, but he was French. And he said, would you paint my turkeys and ham for the Sunday buffets? Because this is when they would do the gelatins Uh over the hams, right? So I would go in with these non-toxic paints and Mm -hmm. do these pastoral main lake scenes. You know, on the hams. On the hams and the turkeys. <laughs> so you you have to laugh when you think that now, I mean, I'm a trained chef and a painter, yeah. right? And from my earliest days, right, I'm I'm painting on food. And also the fact that you were waiting on tables. tables you right. were around food. All the time. So you were around food and one realm or another and your art is going on at the same time yeah and i learned so much by understanding the back of the house and how chefs work and how food was prepared and you know i had that whole thing i mean i had it all like i had i had the sauce going on this was like i couldn't have written the story of how things sort of happened Mm. So what was the next, so you're, you've got these jobs in New York. What was the next big point? In the your next big point trajectory um, was, um, so I'm, I'm in New York. I'm getting all these odd jobs. I finally came clean to my parents and said, oh, by the way, I am not going to be a star on Broadway mm-hmm. and I'm not interested in making, uh, you know, in, in auditioning and, being in the theater as my life mm-hmm. practice. And I, I, the big admission was, and you know what? I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's going to be. I'm just, but I'm working and I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, my father totally believed I was going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like my mother, she, she just had a lot of anxiety and it was more, she was, she just was like, she would second guess everything. But mm-hmm. my father pretty much figured, you know, yeah. she's got spirit and she will figure it out. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of things in New York. I was a fashion stylist. Um, I worked in a public relations firm. Um, I ended up working in marketing communications for like 
nine years. But all these things contribute to what you've done. Absolutely. You know, marketing communications stylist, uh, you know, uh, the the food stuff, understanding the back of the house. Yep. The theater stuff. Because the theater stuff, of course. You're a performer. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. do a demo, de- do a do food demonstration, mm-hmm. and you've got to talk and cook at the same time and mm-hmm. look in a camera. And I thank my stars mm-hmm. uh, for my theater training at Northwestern University, even mm-hmm. though it was... Mm-hmm very difficult Mm -hmm. but yeah you just you can't you you just can't you you can't you I look back and I go I could never have scripted this story Mm. the next point I think um that's important to my story is I went through a health crisis Mm -hmm. when I was 29 years old. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, one of the biggest wake-up calls Mm -hmm. um, of my life. And um, it put me, I, I had severe endometriosis. Um, and I had had it my whole life, but it was never diagnosed. And, um, by that time it had, it had literally crippled me with pain. Like I couldn't really do anything and nobody knew what it was. And, um, and you know, what's so odd is that it's a, it's a disease that affects one in nine women, mm-hmm. um, and yet it's still the most misdiagnosed and misunderstood. You know, one of one of a women's health issues that is just kind of yeah, it's pandemic. It's, it's yeah. it is it's and you know um, and I was thrown into uh, my world was turned upside down and. Uh, I was working, I was a workaholic. Um, So I just like tried to work my way through the pain. Um, And um, anyway, uh, it was a very difficult time and a very dark, dark time. Um, And I ended up having a hysterectomy at the age of 32. Hmm. So... um, I say this because uh, that was, when you go through that type of dark, inky time, when you are embroiled in pain, um, for me, um, and of course that led to depression, it really there's a wounding that happens. There, it was like a deep wounding. I, I felt like my body was betraying me and I had no control. And, But again, the only way out was through it. And there was something in me that kept saying, this is not going to define your life. This, what you're going through now, is not 
going to define your life. You will get to the other side. You will get there. And I don't know where that came from. You know, it's because, believe me, people weren't telling me that. But something in there, something. And so maybe it was a higher source or something that was telling me I was going to get through um, this time. And I mean, six surgeries later and a hysterectomy, but I still was left in chronic pain. So it wasn't really until I was 59 that I got out of chronic pain. So I, I, I feel like that's a part of my spiritual biography that I always had this level of chronic pain that I was dealing with as I was moving in all these from 29 to 59. Yeah. 30 years of chronic pain. Yeah. It's a lot of years. So astrologically, it's like one Saturn return to the other Saturn return. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yes, that's very interesting. You know? So that was kind of an, uh, an undercurrent. Oh. And Rachel Naomi Remins would say, um, a wounded healer. So absolutely, uh, that going through that actually is what made me get to my next big turning point at 35 when I took a life sabbatical and I went to Italy. Well, let's take a break right there just to give ourselves uh, just a little pause here. You've been listening to part one of a two-part TNS conversation with Rebecca Katz and host Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The new school at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kira Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. Our theme music was performed by Debbie Daly. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, Vimeo, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening. Water, water, I feel